tithes and offerings. So if you folks could come forward and do the take the offering, and I'm going to welcome Randy up here, and hopefully I'm not taking your notes, Randy. Hey, look at that. He's taller than I am. I've never had to lower one of these before. We uh, are finishing today a series um, called, as Kevin said, Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. Uh, I suspect that all of us like avoiding cliffs in life. Um, They can be a little precarious. Uh, Sometimes they can be pretty dangerous even. And so we have been uh, spending uh, since May uh, looking at this area of money and finances and uh, my my goal has been and my hope is that it is more than information that uh, beyond just, wow, that was good information, wow, that was helpful, that uh, these things we have highlighted might be a part of the basis for transformation, which is change. And it's interesting, the word repentance, that we hear of in the, in the Bible a lot and we, we use in the Christian tradition a lot is a great word. Jesus used that word. It essentially means stop going the direction you've been going, turn around and go the other way. And so repentance isn't so much confession of sin. Confession of sin is confession of sin. Does that make sense? Repentance is... Changing your course, changing the direction. And it requires something, another word that we talk a lot about around here called faith. And faith in the Bible, getting your, I did, this is not in my notes, this is pure spontaneous, we'll trust the Holy Spirit on this. Faith is not just believing. Believing is believing. Faith is action that we take in response to something God has said. So repentance requires faith. It's an action that we take in response to something God has said about our ways, and we are going to change our course. We are taking action of faith. And then there's another great big word that we use a ton, which is the word grace. And grace has within its meaning the aspect of unmerited favor. But really, unmerited favor is mercy, getting what you don't deserve. Grace, we have uh, shared on, in numerous times around here, is the empowering presence of God to be who he's created us to be and to do what he's called us to do. So faith needs grace. Repentance needs faith. We need faith and grace. And this morning I am going to uh, summarize and just sort of remind us of of some of the material that we've covered, by no means all of it, although I am going to journey through bits and pieces of it all, um, with the thoughtfulness that... um, In teaching, we know that repetition is helpful for remembering. Um, And so at some level, we have been doing some repetition. Here's some more. And then I I really want to encourage you, if you've missed any of these, 
Uh, we started sometime in May, and there were a couple of weeks where we did something else. Uh, but those are online. Um, we're still needing to get July and August up there, but I'm assured that they will be shortly. Uh, May and June are already there. And online on our website is a place called Members something, Members Login. Thank you, Webmaster. And uh, uh, on that is the only thing there is uh, an opportunity to click on sermons. Uh, I, we say periodically we don't uh, make our sermons public because uh, we occasionally say things that we don't want to be public because we're not the best speakers in the world, and so we just kind of say things sometimes. So anyway, uh, but there's a login, there's a username and a password. And the username is hope, and the password is hope. Okay, some of you know what it is. The rest of you could. Anyway, if you don't know that, you can always email uh, somebody else in the church. They might remember it. But anyway, they're going to be there. I would encourage you. You can both listen online like um, iPod or podcast or something like that, or you can download it to your machine, I believe, uh, or your iPhone or whatever. So here we go. We talked initially about the aspect of competing economic systems. We highlighted the fact that the Bible is clear that there are two separate and independent realms or kingdoms that exist as, as competing realms at work here on our planet. And we describe them and talk about them as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And as a part of those kingdoms or realms, there exist two totally separate and independent economic systems that compete for our hearts and our minds and the hearts and minds of all of humankind. The world's economic system, we have suggested, operates under the power and ways of Satan and it operates on the basis of selling and buying exchange. It has a primary currency of money, which we talked a lot about, and in its extreme expression, the world's economic system is about clutching and hoarding. God's economic system operates under the power and ways of God and it operates on the basis of giving and receiving. And I suggested a few weeks ago that its primary currency is grace and at the time I said to you, I don't have any biblical support for that. It just feels like that's true. I have biblical support this morning. I was startled uh, in spending time in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, two chapters I've encouraged you to read, um, at the key aspect of the word grace in the midst of the conversation about God's finances there. So, with uh, strength, I now say that the primary currency of God's economy is grace, and in its extreme expression is extravagant giving. Extravagant giving. That was sort of topic one. We did a number of weeks on that. Second topic that we covered over a few weeks was what we call the power behind money. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now, the Greek word mammon there is translated, as I've said before, in most English translations as the word money. However, that word is not a normal word used by Jesus nor the rest of the New Testament writers for money. And we suggested that what Jesus is speaking of is not money or wealth, but fits better the Apostle Paul's description in Ephesians 6, where he speaks of a cosmic power, a spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realm that influences the hearts of humankind to love and serve money in the physical realm. So when we are dealing in the realm of money and finances, when you're balancing your checkbook, when you're standing at the supermarket and pulling out your credit card or your debit card or your cash, you are not alone. You have the spirit of mammon standing with you to talk to you about your finances and about money and about what's in your cart. There is a powerful force that is vying for first place in our lives. And at the heart of this topic about the power behind money really was the question that we need to ask of ourselves, who and what is first in our lives? Who and what is influencing our decisions about our spending, our buying habits and patterns? And Clara wonderfully presented um, one talk on the symptoms of mammon's influence. And I'm just going to relate them here because they were never echoed again. Uh, But a very helpful talk that she presented that included this these ideas of mammon's influence. What are sort of the things that we deal with, we wrestle with? What are those influences that impact us relative to the symptoms of being influenced by mammon? First was worry and anxiety over money. Worry and anxiety over money. Second was money mismanagement. Third was consistent financial lack. Fourth, she described I need it mentality. I've got to have it. Very similar to number five, impulse buying. Six, stinginess. Very much parallel to seven, covetousness and greed. Discontentment. Exaggerated emphasis on money. And bondage to debt. We had... um, very close friend and, and, and leader in the church come to us after that service and said, I, I'm dealing with too many of those. <laughs> and it's true. We look at those influences and we go, I struggle with those things. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that you're demonized and overpowered completely by the spirit of mammon, but it's having influence. Because if we had fully determined in our hearts and minds who is our source and trusting in God is our source, we don't have these issues. We might be tempted. We might have a flicker. Those won't be issues if we truly know and believe that God is our source and are trusting in Him. 
The third topic was the topic of wealth, money, riches, and treasure. And I suggested that wealth in the Hebrew language is defined as possessions, particularly in the sense of resources, substance, or commodity. Wealth is always something tangible and of itself has worth and value. Wealth is not used for the purpose of buying and selling. It's the result or outcome of things that are bought and sold. Money has very different characteristics than wealth. Money is created by humankind and it belongs to the world's economic system. It's a median of exchange for which we trade goods and services. Money in in and of itself has no intrinsic value. Rather, its value is determined on a daily basis by markets, which is essentially people's opinions. And relative to this idea of no intrinsic value, uh, it's made out of wood, at least the dollars and the, the bills portion, which uh, we've got a lot of that on the planet. It's not a real high, uh, high-end commodity. Although certain kinds of woods, of course, are worth more. And then that which used to be dealt in coin of being gold and silver is now nickel, tin, and other metals that are no longer of, that aren't of tremendous worth. So there's no intrinsic value. And honestly, you know, you could burn it in your fireplace for wood to start your fire if you wanted. It it, didn't mean, no, wouldn't do that because it has value for exchange. But you know what I'm saying? You getting that one a little bit? Money in, in and of itself, we suggested, is impotent and has no power. It carries no intrinsic morality and therefore is neither virtuous nor evil. Scriptures speak of the love of money being the root of all evil, not money. We sometimes mix that up. The issue in related to everything we have been touching on in this series, each topic comes back and touches where are we at in our heart? Towards God, towards money, towards wealth and riches, particularly the idea of treasure. So riches also very related to wealth and money, but they're not the same. And we gave an interesting uh, kind of definition or uh, take on riches and suggested that riches, while not wealth and money per se, that you have worked for, but rather wealth and money that's working for you. Riches work for us to produce more wealth and money that are then available to God for caring for others and expanding God's kingdom. It is not wrong to have investments in the world system. Having riches working for us can be wise and prudent. And when it is under God's rulership and reign under his economy, the multiplication of the investment is off the charts compared to what is earned in the normal world system. And then treasure. Talked about treasure, and we often 
When we think of the word treasure, we think of pirates and treasure chests and buried treasure. Treasure on earth is a storage of accumulated wealth, and it refers to various forms of wealth and riches. And typically, treasure on earth are things we prize, that, we, that we've put our trust in, that are, are things that we uh, cherish and very often have first place in our hearts. Biblically, treasure is an accumulation of good deeds that are stored in heaven for future withdrawals. A treasure in heaven account is the only truly safe investment, no matter what any commercial tells you. Treasure in heaven is not susceptible to moth, worm, rust, thievery, downturn in the economy, or a downturn in the stock market, or a collapse of the world's economy. Treasure in heaven doesn't have a problem with any of that. And as I suggested relative to riches that are under God's economy, the interest rate is incredible. Jesus speaks of 20, 30, and 100-fold interest, which is off the charts. We all wish we could get 5% these days. It'd be great. Topic four, which was beginning to kind of move us into where we've, we've kind of been uh, these last few weeks, is what we were looking at relative to four biblical uses of money. And particularly, we looked uh, at chapter 2, excuse me, of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul gives some very clear instructions and information about biblical economy, biblical financial economy. And in a couple of those verses, he speaks of these in, in agrarian terms and says the first aspect or use of money is seed for the sower and he puts it in first place and we parallel that in our understandings to the tithe the tithe being 10 percent of the revenue that comes into our homes that is holy that is to be set apart for god and his purposes through the local church so the first purpose paul identifies for money is seed for sower the tithe the second is what he called bread for eating which is the resource we need for our personal needs, our household needs. This is what we need for sustenance. When we have settled the question, who is our source, we are free to live without the fear and the anxiety that many people do without that understanding to live by. Those who are without or whose means are minimal feel that their bread is threatened. And God's word time and time and time and time and time again declares God's intention to provide for our needs. The third use of money Paul speaks of is multiplication of resources for sowing, investment for kingdom purposes. This is the principle of living within our means, the means of God's provision, and what we're calling the closed circle. Having identified and answered the question, how much is enough 
identifying our resources, our incomes, our outflows, and closing the circle to where we live within the means of God's provision for us and begin to generate surplus money for investment for sowing in kingdom, God's kingdom purposes. And then the fourth um, topic, which we uh, was touched on um, a few weeks ago when uh, Melissa Williams was here and, and talked about it, was fruits of righteousness, generous and extravagant giving. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that today still. The use of money for righteous purposes in contrast to its use for unrighteous purposes. One of the things that we said when we were talking about money was that that when we take money from the world system and we give it, it changes economies. And it now comes under the economy of God because it's given instead of earned or exchanged. It changes economy and it becomes then a powerful resource for God to whom it goes. Whether it's through the tithe, whether it's through just giving, or whether it's just helping somebody who has a need. And that money being transformed now has a much greater potential for being a benefit. And that is taking money and using it in righteous purposes in contrast to unrighteous purposes. Throughout the series, we've looked at various scriptures talking about demonstrating that it is God's intention and desire to bless his people with more than enough. And this abundance, this Prosperity has three purposes. The first one is God is rich and he is a loving papa and he loves to give to his kids. That is one of the purposes of his heart to give us more than enough, not to be a stingy God. The second, it's God's intention to bless his people so that we would be a blessing to others. Blessed to be a blessing. That was the Mosaic, the Abrahamic covenant. Blessed to be a blessing. And God has never removed his heart and intention from that covenant to bless his people and be a, that they would be a blessing. And then third, and it comes out of two, is God's blessing of his people is intended to attract those who don't yet know him to him. People would say, if that's how God blesses those who follow him, then I want in. It's intended as an evangelistic means or method. Now, all three of those are awesome. But they happen when we are living according to God's principles, when we have implemented these various actions of faith that allow God then when he pours in for there to be the overflow. And for two weeks in a row, I used that 
that uh, example, that picture of the glasses with the water overflowing or the glasses with holes in them where the overflow isn't there. And then the making, you know, we get more and we just kind of increase the size of of our cup. And I hope and I suspect that many of you will never forget those images. God's intention is, has always been and is always and will always be the intention to provide more than enough. And if that is not what we're experiencing, the problem is not on God's end. The problem is that we're not either understanding or implementing his principles according to finances. Now, I've got two exercises and I don't know we have time for both. So I am, I'm going to transition to one. I don't have. You can put the next slide up probably. Um, finances and kingdom living. But I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do one and then I'm going to do the other one. Um, you should have, if you grabbed a program, a little quarter card sheet. We may need someone to help us get some more. You're also going to need a pen. And so we're going to need some help with that. And this, I would say any teenagers, every, anybody that's in this room looks old enough to, to read should have one and have a pen. Aha, that's what's wrong. Hey, Kevin, would you help me for a minute? I think the wire came off. Thank you. I did have some problems this morning with our printer. So there's uh, half of these are have this funky blue on it. If you like blue, maybe you'll like it. I don't know. I like blue, but it looks kind of funky. Anyway, half of them look nice, and the other half have this blue streak. All right. I have um, on this uh, card sort of bullet-pointed many of the key aspects or actions that we need to deal with. And I am going to invite you, and I I created this this morning, so it isn't quite all as pretty and nice as I would have normally had little check boxes and place for your name and a calculation field and all kinds of... No, I'm kidding. Um... I'm going to give us a couple of minutes to pause and consider. We've been talking about these things. If you're a guest today or you haven't been with us, I'm sorry for the the miss on that. But for most of you, I think we've, we've been here, we've journeyed through some of this, and we've had a variety of thoughts and impressions, ideas, senses from the Lord. And I'm going to give us time here for in a couple of minutes to just determine what it is that we, what commitment can we make about these things? And there are four, sort of the four sort of primary categories we, or topics we touched on. Renouncing a spirit of mammon. Having God's understanding about wealth, money, riches, and treasure. Using money for God's purposes on the back. And then closing the circle of my finances. 
And while we're there, at the bottom of that, write the word, get out of debt. I missed one. I walked in and said, Kevin, I blew it. Get out of debt. It's a bullet underneath the very last one, second page. It should be probably up a couple. But anyway, it needs to be on that list. Get out of debt. And if you're not in debt, you don't need to write it down. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to do three things, I think. One is if you are able to make a commitment this morning to work on any of these, I want you to write your name and date it for you. You're not turning these in. I toyed with that. Clara suggested that. But I'm going to try a second way to do that, maybe a little bit easier. So if there is any of this that you're going to be able to, you don't need to write on it now yet. Remember, I'm giving you your instructions. I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord. I want you to reflect. And I'd like you to be honest with him and him allow him to be honest with you. You know, particularly as you wander down this, this second sheet, you may not be ready to say I'm committing to that. I really need probably just to start on this one and this one. And I think I can, with God's help, can can work on that. So I want you to reflect. If you can make a commitment, you can, you can put a check mark up to renouncing a spirit of mammon. And what I would encourage you to do is on a daily basis or a weekly basis, reflect on these things, have this list in your car, have it with you when you're shopping, and and just pay attention if any of these influences creep up or pop up, that you renounce it. I am not going to give in to the spirit of mammon. I'm not going to give in to worry and anxiety over money. I'm not. I'm going to open my hands. I'm not going to be stingy. I don't know how well that one's going to work. They're, they're emotions. They're coming from our heart. We need to become the kind of people who renounce the spirit of mammon. And then just to continue to be thoughtful about God's understanding about money, wealth, riches, and treasure in contrast to how we're bombarded in our society with the world's economy and views and values of those things. And then using money for God's purposes, a commitment to tie, the commitment to embracing that you trust God and entrust to God his provision for your family and then these aspects of multiplication and generous giving and then these steps in closing the circle. So if you would, just uh, take a moment uh, to ponder and uh, consider, pray, and ask God what of these commitments you can make. And uh, does anybody need a pen still or everybody got one? I'm getting one. All right. Take a minute, pray, consider, interact with the Father, read through the lists. Papa, I'm thoughtful that um, the first step really of dealing with this is dealing with our hearts. And some of these things very much touch in that arena what is first in our 
our lives. But then from that place of repentance, changing our heart and our mind towards these things, we need to take some action. We need to become practical and to address the issues that need to be addressed. And Lord, I know that 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 your grace is available to empower us to take the actions if we will make the step. Faith is action based on something you have said. One man once prayed, help my unfaith, my unbelief. I do believe, but it's not all it needs to be. And you're okay with that. Thank you. And then we can't do this on our own. You don't intend us to, intend for us to. You intend to empower us to do it, to grace us with your empowering presence to do what we cannot do, but are called to do. And called to be what we cannot be on our own. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and accomplish within us this morning this covenant and commitment with you to repent, to change, and to take action. In Jesus' name. Amen. The second thing I thought about with these was for you to take a second one. Fill it out as well. Parallel it to what you've written. Sign and date it and give it to a friend or a spiritual leader in your life to communicate to, to someone and to God that you want accountability. Not asking you to turn them into me but who is it that's in your life that you could share this with to say, these are the things I'm committing to see changed in my life? We've got a bunch of the extra ugly blue ones. They're out there. You can grab one on the way out. And I would encourage you to pray about who you might, who it might be that you might invite into your life in that. Okay, the last thing we're going to do, it's going to be about another 10 minutes. In your program should be a a half sheet that has chapters 8 and chapter 9 of Corinthians. You all need one of those. So maybe if we can get somebody to help, there should be more of those out there as well. Should be a full half sheet. Supposed to have been one in the program. Hold it up if you have it. There you go. There's one. There's one. I don't even have one. I'm going to teach you this morning um, a couple of principles for Bible study. Um, There's the saying, uh, give a person a fish and you feed them for a meal, but teach them how to fish and you feed them for a lifetime. Most of us are not taught how to study the Bible. We're taught how to read the Bible because we know how to read. But what's it mean to study the Bible? And um, we're going to take this and spend a little bit of time with it. I, I found it 
profound this week for me to spend time in these two chapters and felt leading to um, involve this as a part of this morning. You're not going to finish what I'm going to encourage you to to do, um, but I'm going to introduce you. There was a, a book called The Joy of Discovery Bible Study. Claire and I, goodness, Eagle Rock Baptist Church, uh, Tabitha was born while we were there. Maybe Joy too. Anyway, a while ago, we were introduced to this uh, tool. It's still it's on the internet and available for purchase. And uh, it's a it's a little bit more in depth by far than what I'm going to introduce you to. But I'm going to introduce you to sort of her first step of about seven steps for Bible study. And the very first step as you look at a text of material, and one of the reasons I printed it out for you is it actually would be really helpful to study a passage on a piece of paper outside of your Bible. And so a Bible program, an online Bible program, you pull down a chapter, you pull down a couple of verses, you print them out on a sheet of paper, and you get pen and paper to work with it. Because you need to be able to write some notes on it. There needs to be space on either side. Um, there's a little bit of I have a lot of material. Uh, I suppose I should have just picked one of the chapters, but I, I just wanted you to have both chapters, and so I just did it that way. There's a little bit of space on the side for writing. Uh, the font's a little small, and um, the spacing's smaller than I would want to use. Probably would take that and put it on a full sheet if I were using uh, the tool myself in that way. And so the first question when you look at a text of material, and it can be one verse or one paragraph or a chapter or a book, and you can study at all those levels, by the way, uh, the first question is, what does it say? Well, duh, Randy. Of course that's the question. What does it say? Well, simple reading won't tell you what it says. Won't tell you all that it says. So we need to learn some skills for observation. Skills for observation. And the first thing you do as you're reading through the text is you look for words that seem important. First read. You're just kind of reading. You know, sometimes we underline whole sentences or we highlight whole sentences. Don't do that. That's, that's not what we're doing in this application. We're looking for some key things. What are some key words? What are important words? So you underline those. Maybe this is one of those times where you, get, you do have a highlighter and you have a cover. I, I use a highlighter, a yellow, a, yellow, a yellow highlighter, a red pen, and a black pen when I'm studying. I use those are my three little colors, and I do all kinds of things. If you ever read one of my books after I've highlighted it, you, you can see all kinds of funny things I write in them, right on the side of my books. You're looking for words as you read through that seem important. Also words that are repeated. Words that are repeated often represent for us some potential for them being key or important words. Gee, I lost my last page. Did that once before. Seven. Oh, there it is. Eight. That was nice. That's your first read. Just gonna read. You're 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 listening 
to the author, you're considering what they're saying, and you're looking for important words, key words, you're underlining. The second time, you're going to look at what you underlined. And look for and find those words that were repeated and circle them or highlight them. Repetition in words is is a very key element in the scriptures. It was very key in the language system of the Hebrews, the repetition of words. Um, I was startled in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. That According to John, Jesus prayed something twice to the Father. And I was reading that in devotions, I thought, in the world, why did Jesus have to, why did he ask that twice? Gee, must have been important. <laughs> and that's all I could get. Why did Jesus have to ask the Father for something twice? It was related to us. It was related to protection for us. And I felt loved that Jesus said it twice. But anyway, there are a lot of things repeated in this material. Then, you're going to read it again. Obviously, doing this with a paragraph is a whole lot easier than a couple of chapters or a verse. But it can be done at all those levels. You're going to look for advice, admonitions. Did I say, did I say themes? I don't think I did. Uh, it's there. Themes or central thoughts. I guess I referenced that. Okay. This next one then is advice, admonitions, warnings, promises. Scripture's full of those kinds of things. Don't do this, do this. And then the last one is reasons, results for doing things, or logical relationships. Cause and effect relationships. If this, then this. Or if this happens, this is going to be the outcome. These are just a few tools, one of about seven key tools that are taught in this particular material. And I want you, in the next five, seven minutes or so, to read through chapter 8, just the front page, and to use those tools that I just shared with you to take a little bit of time with this text. And I think you'll be surprised how much Paul says about finances in this letter, writing to a young church and talking to them about another church as well as a need that a whole region of churches had in the Palestine area. That's a little bit. One of the key themes is finances, and you're going to see a ton of words related to money. Give, riches, wealth. It's amazing. Even not when it's connected to money. He's using, going to use economic language a lot. So go ahead, take a minute. I'm going to stop talking. Use a pen. Underline. That's going to conclude our time here this morning. And a little odd to have that kind of time. But I hope that there's some encouragement for you, uh, that there is very potentially more that you yourself can get coming on Sunday mornings. I'm sure is helpful at some level, but spending time in God's word yourself, hearing what he's saying, learning about his principles is the best way for us to be changed. And um, 
really hope for that to grow in you. And with perhaps some tools such as this and other options that are available, there might be an increase for you in these arenas. So we're going to just conclude our time now. Um, If you uh, would like personal prayer, we are going to have uh, some folks that will go over to your right on that wall with the cross. Kind of hang there. Some folks that are trained and would love an opportunity to meet with you, talk with you, help you. If you would like that, it could be about the topic. It could be just a need that you have, a circumstance that's arisen in your life. You'd like some prayer or share with somebody. Uh, They would be thrilled and happy to do that. Please remember to get your kids. Um, If you've got uh, some here in those rooms, they're ready for you to come get them. Uh, After the service will be two things happening. We've got Grady Sunday happening at Grady's. Anybody wants to go over there and hang out and have lunch and chit-chat? And then as well, there will be a, a workshop here for this week and next Sunday afternoon with the youngs uh, on these topics of finances. So, And my prayer and my hope for you and my blessing to you is that you would know the fullness of God's love for you, his incredible passion and desire to bless you, to fill you to overflowing with his love and goodness that you would be blessed and be a blessing. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you next week.